for having me. Good afternoon. It's summer, and it uh, hasn't rained in a while, which, which fits well with the sermon, because um, I'm going to take you all to a little book, a little uh, minor prophet book called Joel. So with your Bible, if you'll turn to Joel, the minor prophets, uh, they're only minor uh, because of the size of, uh, of the writing. doesn't mean they're any less than the major prophets. So uh, the book of Joel, right there uh, next to Amos, fun, fun little book. Joel means Yahweh is God, or the Lord is God. And the message or the purpose that he writes is to call Judah, to call God's people uh, to wake up, to repent to come back to God to receive protection and blessing so that they might, um, so the judgment of God might be averted. So again, the message of, of Joel is to call the people back to God to find protection and blessing in Him so that they would not be judged but would receive the blessing of God. And so as we look at Joel, the, the text that I'm going to um, read is chapter uh, 2. Verses 18 through 27. So chapter 2, verses 18 through 27. But I, I first need to kind of introduce where we are, because it's, it's hard to just kind of jump in one week and uh, preach a, a book in the Old Testament and not really set up where, where we are in that book. And so what I'm going to preach through today is kind of the climax of the book. But Joel... He starts off with a bang. He starts off with, with, a, with a huge wake-up call because the people of Judah, oftentimes God's people are spiritually insensitive and they're kind of falling away, slippery, sliding away from God. And, um, and so Joel, the prophets, the prophets are God's spokesmen, authoritative spokesmen and uh, speaking for the Lord. And he's calling his people back. And jo- uh, the prophets often uh, are pretty bold. And they're a good model for us to be bold. Uh, the, the believers in Acts, uh, Peter and, uh, and those guys prayed for boldness. And so the prophets are a good example because they get, um, they get to, to, to stand and proclaim God's word. And we have God's uh, word uh, in, in the revealed uh, canon of the Bible that we have. And we get to proclaim, proclaim it in a little bit different way. But Joel starts off in verse 1. He says, hear this. You elders, give ear, all inhabitants of the land. Has such a thing happened in your days or in the days of your fathers? Tell your children of it and let your children tell their children and their children to another generation. And so that's Joel 1. 1. He's saying, has anything like this ever happened? And what is this? Well, as you read further, and we're not going to be able to to walk through it all, but in verse 4, there's a huge locust plague that comes and devours the land. Anybody ever seen a locust plague? I haven't, but I don't know if you have. Um, well, uh, the land of Israel would sometimes see locust plagues, and most likely uh, this is probably a result of the covenant disobedience that the Israelites uh, were under. Because again, they're covenant people. God's made covenant um, promises with them. And uh, in Deuteronomy 28, they were uh, given some, some uh, uh, covenant promises that when they obey, 
that the land would be uh, full and plenty and there would be crops and they would be blessed and their kids would, would, uh, would be fruitful and they would grow. Um, but when, when they would be in disobedience, they wouldn't have crops. The, the land would be barren and it would be devastated. Um, and that was a result of sin. And so as you look through chapter 1, they are, um, they are experiencing uh, the judgment of God. They're experiencing an invasion of the locust plague. And uh, the prophet is calling them to, uh, back to God. He's saying, uh, lament uh, the priests, all the people, the elders, come together, pray, put on sackcloth, lament, because the, the land is barren, uh, the day of the Lord is at hand, and, and the day of the Lord is, 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 is judgment. The day of the Lord is a day of accountability. The day of the Lord is a term that's used in the prophets and throughout the Old Testament and, and the New Testament that speaks of God's judgment. And oftentimes God's judgment would come in the form of a historical plague or an army that would invade Israel and be a means of God's judgment because God judges sin. And so that, that, that is a good thing. We long for justice in our world, um, events that happen, um, tragedies that occur all, all too often in schools and different things. We long for justice, but not everybody longs for um, a just king. <laughs> but we do have that longing for justice. And so we have a God who actually carries out justice. Um, and so he judges sin. And sin uh, is, 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 uh, is devastating. And so chapter 1 and chapter 2 really makes that apparent by the discipline of God upon his people. And discipline is good. Discipline is, is good for, for people because God's heart is not to just wipe people out and just to make them suffer. There's a point and a purpose in discipline, and it's to bring the people of God back to him in repentance and restoration. And so um, chapter 1 and chapter 2, there's this, this calling of, of bringing them back and sounding the alarm, and um, there's this locust plague, and there's also... Uh, this army that's referenced, possibly a historical army that is coming to, um, to invade the land. But even in the midst of that, uh, chapter 2, verse 12, people can still return to the Lord. Because our God is a God who is compassionate and He is um, abounding in steadfast love. And so if you look at chapter 2, verse um, 12, it says, Yet even now, declares the Lord, Return to me with all your heart, with fasting and with weeping and with mourning, and rend your hearts, not your garments. So when people would, would be repentant um, in those days, they would, they would tear their garments. It was a sign of mourning, and they would tear their sackcloth. Um, and, and so he's saying, you know, return to the Lord, rend your hearts, not just your garments. God has always been calling his people to circumcise their hearts, to rend their hearts, to... to to, to be repentant from the inside out. It's not just like saying you're sorry and going through the motions, but it's, it's a recognition of your sin before a holy God because our sin violates and offends a holy God. And God uh, demands justice for that. But yet, even in that, in our sin, we can come back to Him because He is so gracious. And He is abounding in that steadfast love. And so Joel calls them back and he says in verse 14, Who knows whether he will not turn and relent and leave a blessing behind him. And so that brings us really to the passage that we're going to speak up, that I'm going to speak on today, and that is um, chapter 2, verses 18 through 28. And it has to do with the fact that 
Um, God is a God who blesses. We, we serve a God who intends to bless. Okay, and oftentimes I think in our American evangelicalism now, when we hear, a, we hear that phrase, God, we serve a God that blesses, sometimes that's been skewed so much in this thing called the prosperity gospel that if you just trust in Christ, your life will be completely fine and you'll live this perfect, happy life with no uh, heartache or, or tragedies. And that's just not, not the case. If anything, our life might become harder. <laughs> but it's richer in other ways um, because we have that relationship with the Lord Jesus. But our God intends to bless. And the people of Judah, the, the, um, the Israelites, were, were in disobedience. And the prophet Joel was calling them back. And then all of a sudden... In, in verse 18, something changes. And this is what, this is what I want to point you to. Um, but I first want to say that as we walk through this, uh, the undergirding truth of this is that there's a relationship between God and his people. Because God is um, covenantly committed to his people, Israel. Um, and through Jesus Christ, we who have uh, received him by faith, are connected to him as well. Um, but as we walk through this, this undergirding truth is that God has a relationship with his people. In Genesis 12, he promised them um, out of Abraham that there would, there would be a great nation, there would be this people, and that, that he would bring this people into a land, and that they would actually be a worldwide blessing, that the people of Israel would bless the world. And how would they do that? They would do that through a Messiah through the Savior, Jesus Christ. And so, we have a God who intends to bless. Um, and so, where is, where is our God in times of um, tragedy or trouble or even sin? You know, where, where, um, where is God when we've really messed things up? Because the people have really messed things up in the book of Joel. And so, I... I you know, if you're in a state of your life or have been in the past or know somebody that, that, that is currently or might come across somebody in the future, this is important because um, as sinners, we're, we're prone to wonder. And, you know, at some point in our lives, you know, if we live according to the flesh, we can really blow it. And unfortunately, we, we can't get into a time machine and go back to change the past because... You know, our sin has consequences, and, and, and people get hurt, lives change, relationships are, are affected. And, and you may feel, if, you've, if you have um, gone through a period like that of, of walking away from the Lord or being distant or hardening your heart, that, that you've blown it and you've wasted the years. Um, but I'm here to tell you that we have a God who, who, can, who can change you and not only that, but he can bless the future. You can't always get back the years, but, but, but he, can, he can take that and bless you moving forward. And so that's what happens. We're gonna, and we're going to highlight that. We're going to highlight his actions here for his people. And so if you um, we will read through it, the, 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 you're going to see two things. You're going to see how God acts, who he is, and, and, and that's his jealousy. The Lord is jealous, and that's actually a good thing. And then we're going to see his restorative work. So his jealousy and the way he works and restores his people. Um, 
So, with that introduction, hopefully that wasn't too long, let me, let me just pray and we'll, we'll, we'll walk through those verses. Lord, thank you for the opportunity uh, to meet with these people, uh, brothers and sisters, who, um, who I'm getting to know more and I'm thankful for, and just the dynamic of, uh, of people, uh, old and young and all in between, and just uh, the, the children and, and the families and, and the people um, here in Bernie and, 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 and coming from different places. And Lord, we just thank you for uh, this church. We thank you for Charlie McCall. We thank you for um, the people. Um, God, we just pray, Lord, that, that you would use this to point our hearts to you, to see how you are a God who loves to restore his people um, because you are faithful. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so... Um, the first thing we're going to see is his jealousy. And so I'm going to, I'm going to give you the first kind of truth out of this, uh, this text, chapter 2, verses 18 through 27. And that is, the Lord's jealousy leads to merciful and gracious acts. The Lord's jealousy leads to merciful and gracious acts. And so, uh, verse 18, it says, Then the Lord became jealous for his land. And had pity on his people. So this, this is pointing out the character of God. And uh, it's a turning point. It's a shift in the book. Before they've been lamenting. They've been tearing their garments. They've been crying out to God. Or they were called to cry out to God. They were spiritually insensitive. Um, we don't know if they did yet. But then we come here and God is, is, is starting to bless them. God is jealous for his people. He's moving in. And he's making things better. And so it seems to me that they must have repented. So God is jealous. Now when we hear jealous, um, it typically has kind of a negative connotation of of kind of wanting something um, in a negative way or sinful way. But but jealousy, um, or another word in some of your uh, versions says zealousness. For God is, is a character of God that is, that is holy and right. It's, it's this passionate, devout, um, uh, in some sense, demanding uh, loyalty of God. It's a deep devotion that leads the Lord to intervene for His people because He loves His people. And so it's actually a, a really good thing uh, that God has this zealousness this, this, uh, this passion for his people because he made you and he made me and he made us to be for him. And so uh, in, in scripture, God is described as, as a jealous God because he desires for our allegiance, right? That's the, the first commandment that we are to have no other gods but him and him alone. And when we begin to put more of the focus in our lives upon ourselves, when we get consumed with ourselves, and, and I, I struggle with this at times. When, 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 when I become the center, then we, our focus is taken off the Lord. Um, and we begin to, to uh, create little idols in our life. And so it's a good reminder that God desires our allegiance. God desires our complete, um, uh, our complete focus. Uh, Psalms 27, we want to gaze on the beauty of the Lord. We keep our focus on Him. And so... God is a jealous God, and He's going to intervene for His people. And He has pity. He has pity on His people. This is compassion. 
And why does he show this pity? He shows it because he cares. He shows it because he, he has this zealousness and this, this jealousness for his people, this demandingness of, of loyalty that can only be for him. It's who God is. And so, um, it's interestingly how patient God is with us. How patient He is with the Israelites. Even when we are, are prone to wonder. And this is the character of God. This is, this is who God is. And we learn a lot about the character of God in the Old Testament. And so as, as, as you learn more about God, as you read through the, the Scriptures, you can begin to tell people uh, of God's amazing character and the mercy that He's had on us. So that He's had mercy upon the Israelites. Um, in Christ Jesus, He's had mercy upon us. And we get to tell people of that mercy. That's part of our story. That we have not been given what we have deserved, rightly, but instead, that judgment has been um, averted upon the Savior, the Son, Jesus Christ. And instead, the righteousness of God is given to us who believe in Him by faith. And that's beautiful. That's good news. And that's an incredible act of mercy. So God's jealousy leads Him to act upon His people in gracious and merciful acts. So He pursues His people. He hasn't forsaken them. Um, Secondly, the Lord intends to restore and bless His people and creation. The Lord intends to restore and bless His people and creation. And you'll see that if you look at verse 19... This is, a, this is a contrast to what was before. So in chapter 1 and chapter 2, the land is quite barren. The, uh, the fields are being destroyed. Uh, the, the, there's, uh, the sheed shrivels under the clouds. The storehouses are desolate. So the Israelites, they were a farming agricultural community, and they had these, these, these barns that kept the grains um, and they would use the grains for food, but they would also use the grains and, and, and these foods for sacrifices to God. And so when their land was devastated by locust plague or an army, that was a big deal, not only because they couldn't eat, but because they couldn't offer sacrifices to God. The land was barren, there, it was being wiped away, but now, verse 19, the Lord answered and said to His people, Behold, I am sending to you grain, wine, and oil, and you will be satisfied. I will no more make you a reproach among the nations. Um, I think I started out with the sermon that uh, I, said, I think I said something about um, the fact that it hadn't rained. Um, and that's maybe a good illustration for this because uh, I don't know if that's a pattern that we're going to have this summer, but as it is, you might begin to see the barrenness of our land. Uh, the, the, hopefully the, the river won't dry up like I've seen it dry up where, where, where we live in Spring Branch but, um, at, at times. But when it does, it's barren. Your grass is brittle and, 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 and it's dry and, and it's hard. Um, but when it rains, you can see it be replenished and the waters rise and the animals get to, uh, to drink and they get to thirst, and, 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 and that gets um, renewed. And so that's a, a picture of God's restorative work. And He's doing that with His people here in this, in this uh, passage. And in verse 20, 
I will remove the northerner far from you and drive him into a parched and desolate land, his vanguard into the eastern sea and his rear guard into the western sea. The stench and foul smell of him will rise, for he has done great things. So the Lord will change, um, the, 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 not change, the Lord, the Lord will, will, um, uh, will, will wipe away the, either the locust plague or the army that has come in. So, the, so God uses um, locust plague. He also uses armies. If this is possibly the Babylonians. Um, he uses those for judgment, but he also um, carries judgment upon those, those people. And so we have a God who actually has the last word. He, he will have the last word on sin. And that's, that's a big part of Joel, too. So, um, you know, if you experience anything in life with relationships, and, and um, you'll probably get the, the raw end of a deal where, um, where you feel like injustice has occurred. And so I want to encourage you, um, if you continue to read the book of Joel, especially in chapter 3, and, and God deals with sin. Uh, as believers, that's been dealt with on the cross. Um, as for unbelievers, that will be dealt with when He comes back. When Jesus, when his, the Son Jesus comes back um, to have vengeance upon the unbelieving and rebelling world. And so, uh, vengeance is, is, is mine, uh, says the Lord. So, He will take care of sin. Um, we are... We, post-cross, are to carry our cross and to get slapped on the cheek, so to speak, um, to be, to be uh, holding each other accountable within the church, but also we, we are to carry our cross. There will, our lives will experience persecution. But God is a God who deals with sin, and he is, he is redeeming His people, and He's working restoration, and He can do that in relationships even now. And so this leads to rejoicing. This leads to rejoicing. And one thing I want to say is that another truth out of this is that God's faithfulness in the past is a pattern and a promise of His faithfulness in the future. And that's something really important for us to remember. And, and for little ones, or if there's kids in here, all the way up to, to the oldest person, that truth is something that we can, we can, we can bank on. God's Faithfulness in the past is a pattern of promise of His faithfulness in the future. It's all throughout Scripture. It's who He is. It's how He works. And so, uh, remember that. Know that. Hold that truth deeply in your heart. Because when you do go through hard times, we cling to that. We cling to Him because He is faithful. And that leads to rejoicing when God restores. And we do see His faithfulness it leads to rejoicing. It leads to, to, uh, to gladness and satisfaction in Him and Him alone. In verse 21, chapter 2, verse 21, it says, Fear not, O land, be glad and rejoice, for the Lord has done great things. You know, what do we rejoice in? What do you rejoice in? What truly brings us joy? Think about that. Be glad and rejoice, for the Lord has done great things. Fear not, you beasts of the field, for the pastures of the wilderness are green. 
So it's quite a contrast from what was before. The tree bears its fruit. The fig tree and vine give their full yield. So it's a little bit of a personification here that uh, to be glad, the land to be glad, um, the animals to, 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 to rejoice. So God is the one who restores the crops that have been previously uh, devoured. Uh, God is in control. This, this, uh, this is a picture, too, of what ultimately is going to be a restoration of God's creation. He's going to uh, provide a new creation, uh, a new heavens and a new earth. So we, we, we began in a garden, and we're going to end in a garden, a beautiful garden that Revelation speaks of, a restorative garden, a new garden, um, one without sin or, or pain or tears. Verse 23, be glad, O children of Zion. Zion is a word usually referenced to like Jerusalem and God's central place that He will be with His people. Be glad, O children of Zion, and rejoice in the Lord your God, for He has given the early rain for your vindication. He has poured down your abundant rain, the early and the latter rain as before. It's, it's, it's good to remember that Israel, in the land that they were, they, they didn't have an abundant supply of water, so they had to depend upon the Lord. And uh, sometimes that's hard for us to, to wrap our minds, our minds around because we lived down the street from an HEB or we had things um, pretty, pretty much when we want them. And sometimes that can be a kind of a stumbling block to our trust in the Lord for His provision at just the right time. The Israelites, it became apparent when they were blessed, it was from the Lord. It was nothing else. And so God is the one who blesses at just the right time. And he does that in our lives. And sometimes we feel like we're waiting on him and waiting on him. When is this going to happen? Or we've been repentant or, we've, um, or, or things have just not worked out the way we wanted to. But his timing is different. It just is. But his timing is perfect and his timing is right because he is who he is and he does what he says he always says. And so uh, we can trust that, that God uh, is working in his sovereign way in our lives. There's always hope with the Lord. Verse 24, the threshing floor shall be full of grain. The vat shall overflow with wine and oil. I will restore to you the years that the swarming locusts have eaten, the hopper, the destroyer, and the cutter, my great army which I sent among you. So God, God is a restorer. How much? Completely. He redeems and restores. He takes what is awful and He renews His people. No matter what you've done, uh, and, and no, matter, no matter the path that you have taken in your life, God, there's hope in the Lord. There really is. It, it may sound cliche, but it is true. And He's given us His Son, Jesus Christ, who is fully God. And He is the answer. He is our hope. He does change our lives. And no matter what we're going through, we aren't to lose heart. We, we don't lose heart because everything um, may seem like like a little thing, but God is using that um, for our growth and for His glory. 
and he's pursuing his people. We can't replace the past, but he can bless the future. You might not forget, but God can give you joy as you look ahead. And you can think about some of the characters throughout the Bible um, that, that this has been true on, just in how God, his timing, it works in different ways. You think of like Joseph, who was forgotten and lied about and sold as a slave. And um, God didn't forget him. Everybody else did, but God didn't. God is a God who knows you. He sees you. He knows your heart. He knows you individually. And he has not forgotten you. And he has not forgotten his people. Verse 26, you shall eat in plenty and be satisfied and be and praise the name of the Lord your God. See, our praise is built on the truth of God. It's not just empty praise like, la, 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 God, God, God. Um, it's built on who He is and His character. And so the more we understand His Word, the more we can take that to Him in praise. Who has dealt wondrously with you, and my people shall never again be put to shame. You shall know that I am in the midst of Israel and that I am the Lord your God and there is none else and my people shall never again be put to shame. Um, so I know, you know, if historically if this has happened, God's restorative work with this people Israel did, did not last Forever, because we know that they're still being put to shame today. Um, and so I think historically, Israel uh, continued in their rejection of God and are still in that rejection to this day. But one day, God will change that and His people will receive the, the Savior, uh, the Messiah, and they will be restored completely back to Him not to be put to shame ever, ever again. And so uh, we're made for praise. We're made for God. We're made... Um, so the, the last truth is that the Lord's restoration leads His people to praise Him, to rejoice in Him. You know, we're to be like the, the man in Psalm 71 who can tell of the Lord's faithfulness to the next generation. That, that was His purpose to tell of the Lord's faithfulness to the next generation. Um, that's a great goal for life. If I can just tell people of the Lord's faithfulness in my life. We, we have a story to tell. And so um, God is, is a jealous God who is demanding of our allegiance. And for those who have come back to Him in repentance... He restores. He blesses. Uh, if we can zoom out for a second and just think about some of these, these truths. As, as, uh, as, as Scripture continue, we're, we're in Joel. And if you keep going, God continues this pattern of restoring until He ultimately will gather His people, Israel, back to their land. Um, in the book of Revelation. Which 
which really points us to the means of blessing that God, um, that God has. The culmination, the climax of, of, of blessing is through and for and to His Son, Jesus Christ. So as further Scripture reveals, God sent a Redeemer, right? Uh, Jesus Christ to be a blessing to all people. From the people of Israel so that they would know the one true God. And as the church, we are recipients of the blessings of salvation through Jesus Christ by faith. Um, when we repent and come to Him by faith, we can know the one true God. And He keeps us. We are kept for salvation. Uh, the book of Jude is a, is a great one-chapter book that speaks of us being kept for Him. We're called to remain in Him, but He, in fact, keeps us in Him. And because we're in Jesus Christ, we have received abundant blessings. So Jesus Christ is our Savior who rescues us from the day of the Lord. The people in Joel's day were going through um, a day of the Lord, a day of judgment, but there was going to be a greater day of wrath to come upon the unbelieving and sinful world. And Jesus Christ is our Savior who rescues us from that coming wrath. In fact, Jesus will come back to conclude the day of the Lord with the very wrath of God. And so Jesus is our ultimate provider, our sustainer, our caregiver. We are to come to Him. He not only rescues us from the wrath of God, but He gives us His righteousness. And that's in abundance. So much that when the Lord sees us, He sees us as a child of God. Scripture speaks that when we have the Son, we have life. And that is blessing. That is abundant. God is the only one who can give life. And He's given it in His Son, Jesus Christ. So much so that... Uh, John 3, 18 says, Whoever believes in Him is not condemned. So Romans 8, 1 says, Therefore, whoever is now in Christ Jesus, is, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So we're no longer guilty being in Christ Jesus. So it's incredible, incredible blessing. So just to kind of review some of those things that we've been through, um, and I hope it's encouraging to you because it, it's been encouraging to me. Just looking at the book of Joel, because the book of Joel is about judgment. God deals with judgment. But even in that, God is gracious and merciful. And he is, his, 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 his jealousy and zealousness for his people leads to his actions, his gracious and merciful actions. And if you, if you have time later, you can look at some of those blessings that he's given us in Christ Jesus. Ephesians 1 and 2 really... Um, lay out a beautiful picture of those blessings. How the grace of Christ Jesus has, has been, uh, you ready for this word? Lavished. It's such a great word. Um, so much so that we've been given life. We've been given the Spirit of God Himself to indwell within us. And we, when we've been given the Spirit of God, we've been, we've been sealed. It's, it's set. It's done. It's finished. And we get a taste of what's to come. The Lord is also restoring His people. He's working in our lives. 
through Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. And so, I know life's not perfect. I know that, that I'm still dealing with the old remnants of my flesh and my sin nature. But be encouraged that God is working and that every pain, every um, stain uh, of experiences that you have is a reminder of the eternal pain and hell that you won't have to go through being in Christ Jesus. And every joy is just a hint of eternity with God and the eternal weight of glory that, that He is um, piling up for us. And so that should lead us to praise. That should lead us to trust. That should lead us to... to, to uh, um, to build up our story because we have an incredible story about the mercy and love of God. And it should lead us to praise Him and rejoice in Him. You know, when your day doesn't go the way you want it to go, um, that really stinks. <laughs> if you've had days like that. Um, but your day is a success if you can rejoice in one person. And even in the pain, you can rejoice in one person because that one person never leaves, never changes, is always there and is always doing His work in you. And oftentimes, in His mysterious way, that's the way He does His work through you is because He takes you through the pain. The Lord is faithful. And He does that because He's growing us. He does that because He's faithful, and He does that for His glory. Because one day, God intends to dwell again with mankind. All throughout Scripture, uh, the dwelling of God is a huge theme. He walked in the garden with, with Adam and Eve. Um, he, encouraged, or he commanded His people to build a tabernacle where He might dwell upon his, with His people. Uh, but the people rebelled and the glory of God departed. But there was, there was a uh, uh, Emmanuel that was to come. And Jesus Christ came and dwelt among us. He tabernacled among us. And in fact, when He died and rose again and ascended into heaven, He sent the Spirit of God to dwell within us. And that Spirit of God that lives in us is longing, is crying out for redemption, is is, is looking forward to that day when God Himself will dwell with His people. And that's how actually the book of Joel ends. The dwelling of God. That, it'll, it, 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 that, that, that God Himself will dwell among His people in Zion. And so, um, I'll close with this illustration. I have uh, uh, four boys and they love to... Uh, they love to have this night they have named Daddy Night. <laughs> um, and so they try to do it every two weeks or so. Or they definitely keep me on schedule if I forget. And they know that it's just Daddy Night. They just spend time with me and we pile in one bed and uh, watch a show or play Legos or play a game. And it's such great, great fun. Um, and we just spend time together. And I was thinking that's a good illustration for the relationship that God has with His people. Because He 
delights in His people. And we are to long for that daddy night. We are to long for our Abba Father. And the Spirit in us cries out to Him. And one day, that will become a reality for eternity. It is a reality now because we have the Spirit of God, but one day we will experience it without the old flesh, without sin, without the brokenness in this world. And so we long for that day, that eternal daddy night with our Father. And so uh, may that be encouraging to you. Um, Let me close in prayer. Father, uh, we thank you for uh, the time that we've got to spend uh, in your word. Um, The prophet Joel that highlighted the seriousness of sin, the devastation of sin upon our lives. But we also know that you are God, the only one who can redeem and who can restore. And you've done that through your son Jesus Christ and by your spirit. You've not only redeemed, you've not only restored, but you've begun to renew your people from the inside out. And Father, I, um, I long for that day when every day be without the brokenness and we will be eternally dwelling with you forever and ever. And until that day, Lord, I pray that you would continually call us back to repentance to the one true God who demands all of our allegiance. Lord, we love you so much. Give us strength. Give us boldness to proclaim you to a world that so desperately needs to know and experience true, true life. And we know that life is only in the Son, Jesus Christ, who died and rose again. And we pray this in his name. Amen. Y'all would stand and join us. what I want to do, and I give you praise, for you are my righteousness. I worship you, almighty God, there is none like you. I worship you, Almighty God, there is none like you. I worship you, O Prince of Peace, that is what I want to do, and I give you praise, for you are my righteousness. I worship you, almighty God, 
there is none like you. There is none like you. Lord, just 